This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Certainly, most people understand that being president of the United States makes you the most important elected official in the world. And that also means that you have to have a very important global perspective on a variety of different issues. That is one of the important things that Donald Trump will be focusing on, not only in his first 100 days in office, but even now as he prepares to become president of the United States. Joining us to discuss this is uh, Jeff Garrett, who is dean of the Wharton School here at the University of Pennsylvania. Jeff, great to have you joining us today. Dan, it's my real pleasure. Thank you, sir. Uh, There are so many global issues to discuss where Donald Trump is concerned. And obviously, some of the things that have been said uh, in the run-up to the election uh, make you wonder how different we could be looking at in terms of the relationship that the United States has with various entities around the globe. Is there a level of concern uh, for you going forward with how these relationships may play out? Well, you know, I think it's it's fair to say that there's probably there's less certainty around what the core of the Trump agenda will be internationally than domestically. Uh, I know you've just had Ken Smetters on, and I think that a lot of the, the domestic agenda uh, led by tax cuts really um, looks pretty conventional Republican, and, um, and the markets obviously have welcomed. If you go to international, uh, the, you know, the, the, the two elements of, of Trump, the candidate, were criticizing the U.S. for not getting enough bang for its buck with allies and, in essence, you know, not getting enough out of the Middle East, and then, quote-unquote, losing to China and losing on trade. So those are very, very general statements. They're kind of critical of where the U.S. has been rather than positive statements of Obama priorities. So I think there's more uncertainty when it comes to international issues, definitely. As you view it, how was it that Donald Trump be, uh, became elected to, to be president of the United States? Well, I, you know, I, I think the, the temptation to focus on the uniqueness of Donald Trump as a candidate is clear. But I think, you know, there were, what he was actually doing was riding a big structural wave of change in the United States. Um, you know, you think about uh, inequality, for example. We tend to th- we tend to associate that with post 2008, post financial crisis. But inequality in the U.S. actually started increasing dramatically in the latter 1980s and went up a lot under Bill Clinton in the 1990s. Um, so, if if the big story is uh, I think the big story is economic, not social. So one element of it is inequality. The second is stagnant incomes for so many Americans over the past 15 years or so. Um, now Trump's, you know, Trump's unique personality probably catalyzed that. But I, I think the big structural stuff is at least as important. And to my mind, it then, you know, if we then pivot from campaigning to governing, 
it it also creates the Trump agenda, which should mm-hmm. be both to increase growth, but to do so in a way that's also in, includes more people in it. Where international fits there, I think it's a you know trickier question, but certainly one I'd be happy to explore. Well, and I'll get to that in just one second because I want to stay for a second on, on focusing on the U.S. Because even in the short term after the election, if you look at a lot of the uh, the business networks, they are throwing around the number of four percent GDP growth, which is something that we haven't seen in quite some time. Uh, obviously, the markets here in the United States have reacted very favorably to a Donald Trump as president, at least in the short term. Are, are, are yeah. some of these a little bit uh, of just kind of the reaction to the, the, the election itself, or is this a potential long-term path to growth? Well, I, I would focus on the long term. So I think if you look historically, you know, the U.S., the U.S. after World War II has been at a you know somewhere between 3.25 and 3.5 percent annual growth. If the U.S. could get back to that stably, I think that that would have an enormous positive impact, not only economically but also socially and politically in the country. So, you know, I wouldn't be thinking about sustainable four percent. You might right. be able to juice it up to that with some short-term stimulus. But, you know, I think the markets have reacted um, reacted positively really for two reasons. One, on the economic side, one is the prospect of uh, corporate tax cuts. And and the other is that uh, I think Donald Trump is saying that he'll likely do a lot of the kind of infrastructure things that Hillary Clinton was proposing as well. And both of those stimulate the economy in the short term. But I think, you know, the the bigger issue is the longer term one. Can you keep the growth rate uh, up about north of 3%? And then I think you've got to focus on, you know, the, the big drivers, uh, the big drivers of growth in the past 20 years ago or so, which are uh, technology and globalization. The challenge that comes with both of them is that they've had a narrowing effect, not a broadening effect when it comes to the income distribution. So if your growth drivers also narrow the benefits, that creates a big uh, political and social challenge, but I think that's also an economic challenge. So how does globalization then going forward, what steps do you have to take to make sure that everybody can can benefit from from globalization here in the United States? Yeah, you know, I think using the bully pulpit to begin with is pretty important. Uh, and and to my mind, the, the most important thing to say is that everyone in America does benefit from globalization. We benefit because the things that we consume on a daily basis are just much cheaper. Right. You know, made in America is a, is a lovely slogan, but if we sourced, produced, made everything in this country, prices for the stuff we buy would be much higher. Um, then, it, then it gets a bit more complicated. You know, you think about the, what what's similar about technological change and globalization. One, uh, the similarity is that it's reduced demand for less skilled labour, and of course we saw that. You know, we saw that in the Rust Belt states uh, yep. swinging to Trump from the Democrats. So, so I think you know, Mr. Trump now, or President-elect Trump, really is going to have to take that one on. Yeah, let's uh, switch to uh, to trade and, and overseas issues, because obviously TPP has been something that has been talked about quite a bit uh, over the last year or so. And obviously, Mr. Trump is not a fan of it. He has basically said he would not uh, invoke TPP going forward. Where do you stand on it? What are the benefits of it? And is there a path where we could see some version of TPP in the future? 
Yeah, so unfortunately, you know, the, this the whole area of trade agreements is so arcane, it's really hard to make it, you know, to convey the stuff in a way that's both easy to understand and engaging. So let me give it my best shot. You know, I, I think that Trans-Pacific Partnership, the general idea of a free trade agreement spanning both sides of the Pacific, uniting uh, the U.S., Canada, Mexico with the big East Asian countries is really important. The TPP deal that Barack Obama championed, however, I don't think was mostly about economics. I think it was about geopolitics. It was an effort by Obama to say to the world that we write the rules of the road for the 21st century, not China. Uh, China was not included in TPP, even though it's the world's largest trading nation and obviously Asia's largest economy. So, you know, Hillary Clinton had walked away from TPP. Trump has criticized that. I think, we're, you know, TPP is in essence dead on arrival as written in Washington. That potentially creates some real challenges in Asia because I think of the, a lot of the Asian countries that signed up to TD, TPP did so because the U.S. asked them to, to do that. So I think Mr. Trump will need to come up with some alternative. And, you know, the alternative that I would encourage is one that includes China. And uh, Mr. Trump said he's good at negotiating deals. The Chinese are deal makers. I'd encourage him to try to strike a deal that's win-win for China and the U.S. on trade. Where do you think end up, uh, NAFTA will end up? Um, you know, the, there's been a lot of criticism of NAFTA. I, I think it would be, one, very difficult to unwind NAFTA, and two, very unwise to do so. You know, there's a thing in uh, international economics called the gravity model of trade. And, and what it says, which I think is pretty obvious, is that you, you do more trade. It makes more sense to do more trade that are con with countries that are closer to you. So the fact that the U.S. shares very, very large land borders with both Canada and Mexico makes trade among those three countries an absolute natural. So I, I think despite the anti-NAFTA rhetoric out there in the campaign, NAFTA will probably uh, endure. I do think that the more burning issue and the more pressing issue is what to do with TPP. And as I said, I think you know, my preferred go-forward path would not be to try to not try to ink the TPP deal as it's currently written, but go back to closer to scratch. And I think that that's something that Mr. Trump potentially could embrace. What are some of the things then, then he needs to consider uh, going forward if we are going to see uh, a, a significant TPP deal or, or some sort of version of a deal between the United States and China going forward? Well, so broader TPP, I mean, obviously Asia has become... Uh, an incredibly important growth engine for the world. So we should never forget that. Um, but when it comes to China in particular, I, I think that all Americans actually are going to have to come to terms with two very important realities. One is the centrality of the Chinese market and Chinese consumers to American firms. So, you know, think about a firm like Apple. We tend to think you look on the back of your Apple device and it tells you it was assembled in China. Yeah. But today, China's about a one quarter of Apple's markets. It's not just a low-cost assembler. It's a massive consumer market and American firms benefit enormously from that. The second thing is the, the reality of outbound Chinese investment. In the last 20 years or so, it's all been about foreign multinationals, including American ones, wanting to get into the Chinese market. 
going forward, we're going to be dealing with a lot of Chinese outbound investment. And of course, we've seen that movie before. That's what happened with Japan into the U.S. Uh, in the 1990s. Took a while for Americans to come to grips with that. But uh, you know, having having a lot of Toyotas, you know, good cars made cheaply in the U.S., I think has ultimately been a, a great benefit to the U.S. And I and I would hope and expect that would be true with Chinese investment. Maybe not tomorrow, but over you know, if we measure it in maybe 10 year chunks, uh, that'll be an an important new reality for this economy. So what do you expect to see happen potentially during that first 100 days with Donald Trump in office? You know, the 100 days thing uh, tends to be uh, mostly about symbolism. Um, so, you know, I would expect a lot of a lot of symbolic chart the course kind of things. You know, the the realities of governing tend to take much longer than that. So, High level, high level political theater is is bound to be a, a core part of the game, and of course, Mr. Trump has proved incredibly adept at that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the big signals, the international big signals, I think, will be we're going to be tough on terrorism, uh, but we don't, and we don't like the the nuclear deal that the Obama administration cut with Iran. And then I, I would expect uh, some movement on uh, some negative movement, i.e., a repudiation of the current TPP agreement when it comes to East Asia and trade. But I'd hope there'd be some signaling of a, a forward path as well there. Jeff, thank you very much for your time today. My real pleasure. Thanks Th- a lot. Thank you, Jeff Garrett, Dean uh, here of the Wharton School here at the University of Pennsylvania. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.